millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast and uh, I'm going to look at the uh, economic boom that America experiences in the two decades after the Second World War. And uh, I'll be looking at um, Grand Expectations, I've referred to the book a couple of times before by James Patterson which is a, a really nice kind of overall guide to uh, everything from um, the end of the Second World War to um, Nixon, basically. Um, and he talks in the third chapter uh, about economic booms. And what he has to say falls into a, a way of looking at things that I've, I've long agreed with, that uh, ultimately it is the, the huge tectonic shifts in uh, economic growth and uh, also economic stagnation that really make the other aspects of um, a historical era kind of make sense. Um, Here, James Patterson says, Economic growth was indeed the most decisive force in the shaping of attitudes and expectations in the post-war era. The prosperity of the period broadened gradually in the late 1940s, accelerated in the 1950s, and soared to unimaginable heights in the 1960s. By then, it was a boom that astonished observers, One economist, writing about the 25 years following World War II, put it simply by saying that this was a quarter of a century of sustained growth at the highest rates in recorded history. Former Prime Minister Edward Heath of Great Britain agreed, observing that the United States at the time was enjoying the greatest prosperity the world has ever known. So, that being the case, it's an absolutely extraordinary period of um, two and a half decades in which that was true. Not only was, uh, as the, the book suggests, uh, there were there grand expectations and ever-increasing expectations from nearly all aspects of uh, American society. Greater expectations of personal wealth, greater expectations of, of personal freedom, and greater expectations that the next generation would enjoy 
um, conditions that were better than the one, uh, the ones that uh, the existing generation had enjoyed. Um, you have this uh, culture shaped by exploding living standards, not just rising, but soaring living standards. But you also then have an entire culture, uh, cultural shift, a uh, social and cultural shift, uh, probably ending in the, the crises that we can see now uh, in uh, American politics, when that growth uh, from the mid-70s onwards, um, the, kind of the advent of, of the neoliberal era, uh, grinds to a halt or goes actually in many parts of America into reverse in the 1980s and 90s. Uh, I've done uh, a couple of podcasts um, about this kind of transition away from America being um, a, an economic uh, surplus nation in terms of uh, manufacturing to being uh, a deficit nation, a net importer as opposed to uh, exporter and the the solution that Paul Volcker eventually comes up with of turning the American economy into um, a finance-driven economy, essentially. How do you create a uh, an economic surplus in a time of uh, manufacturing uh, deficit, well, you become the world's banker. All the economic activity of the world, as much of it as possible, could be banked in Wall Street with high interest rates, which unfortunately happen to devastate industry. But that's a, a different story for a, a later time. Um, so the uh, let's just look at some of the stats here. Um, America had 7% of the world's population in uh, the late 1940s and uh, possessed 42% of the world's income and accounted for 50% of the world's manufacturing output. American workers had uh, produced 57% of the uh, world supply of steel, 47% of the world supply of electricity, 62% of the world supply of oil, 80% of the world supply of automobiles. And the um, country also had three quarters of the world's reserves of gold. In 1949, um, per capita income was $1,450. This was approximately double the standard of living that someone in Great Britain would have enjoyed at the time. I mean, there are obvious reasons for that. Great Britain had emerged a far diminished uh, nation as a result of the war. It had endured uh, bomb damage, nothing compared to um, the way that Germany had been devastated, but it had, uh, in, uh, it had it, uh, incurred uh, bomb damage. It had, uh, its empire was immensely weakened, but most significantly... Britain had gone from being a creditor to a debtor nation as a result of two world wars. It's worth clarifying that Great Britain uh, became indebted to uh, the USA in 1914 and it was in 1916 that Britain was eclipsed by the USA as the world's foremost economy. So two world wars had uh, left Britain uh, economically eviscerated the position that Britain had in the mid-19th century as the world's manufacturing powerhouse and also the world's financial powerhouse was long since gone. In 1945, unemployment was recorded at 1.9% of the civilian workforce 
uh, an almost unimaginable low. And of course this is largely uh, as a result of wartime production and manufacturing. Every economy needs a degree of uh, flexibility within the labour market. They need people moving between jobs and obviously that requires a level of structural unemployment so that there is actually there are actually people to go around. Yeah, full employment um, in Keynesian uh, theory would have all sorts of implications for I- inflation. Um, so uh, by 1948 there was just under 4% um, unemployment and that uh, at that point this was enough for um, uh, the successful working of an economy that was expanding. So people that are unemployed, they're not really unemployed for very long because new enterprises are growing at a dramatic rate. One key indicator of American living standards was uh, intake of calories, considering how um, many people in China, India, Russia, uh, across Asia and across Europe had starved as a result of the conflict of the Second World War and how um, malnourished generations of children were um, or undernourished in the 40s and 50s. The fact that um, the average American calorie intake was exceeded 3,000 calories uh, per day and this was a, a kind of a varied diet This was, uh, by the mid-1940s, no small achievement. Much of this prosperity was, of course, uh, built on the elevation and the protection of uh, white American society. Not only uh, had immigrants uh, been um, marginalised and kept out of America from the 1920s onwards, but, of course, the uh, prosperity and wealth was uh, unevenly distributed with black and Latino Americans and other minorities uh, not enjoying the same benefits that white Americans did. In short, America was uh, increasingly prosperous in the 40s and 50s and that prosperity didn't seem to affect social cohesion and social stability um, at least not within the, the kind of the confines of um, uh, suburban white America. Perhaps one reason why this is looked back on uh, fondly and nostalgically as a golden age in uh, American life, uh, the era of the white picket fence and suburbia, uh, is uh, because of uh, a, the end of the Second World War, the returning of uh, GIs, from war and the uh, kind of reabsorption of fighting men into uh, the nuclear family and the, uh, the kind of the, uh, the patterns of uh, family life. But also because it wasn't the 1930s, uh, the murder rate had halved since the early 1930s and violent crime that had um, been a figure of the 1920s, which was the 1920s and the early 30s, um, had um, dwindled considerably. There are some demographic explanations for this. Uh, The young men who came of age uh, in the late 1940s, who had been born in the late 1920s, were a particularly small kind of cohort uh, of of individuals, so there were fewer young men around. These are 
the um, crime group for crime and disorder. Um, obviously, large numbers of them had served uh, overseas, and the situation reverses itself when there is a baby boom, and by the mid-1960s, there's a, a huge generation uh, of uh, young people and uh, an exploding crime rate. So when we look at the difference between the 1940s and 50s on one hand and the 1960s on the other, um, a conservative with a small c view of the 1960s was that um, liberalism and drugs and uh, the idea that people can do whatever they want, this has led to uh, everything from Altamont to the Manson family. And that's probably not really um, a realistic cause of um, social change on, on that scale or, or criminality or, or what have you. It might be that actually the relatively low crime rates of the late 1940s are the aberration and uh, the processes of kind of urbanisation and dislocation and movement and all these sorts of things um, are more... Um, uh, an indicator of, of what might be of, um, uh, what might be at cause of criminality in the late 1960s. So as I've said in a number of podcasts in the past, uh, particularly the one I did on segregation and suburbia some time ago, uh, prosperity and affluence and the American dream was uh, determined racially those that were going to enjoy this or far more likely to enjoy this were going to be white American. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Um, the fondness and nostalgia for the 1940s and 50s is uh, generally a kind of like a white historical memory. There uh, aren't, uh, by and large, 
a lot of uh, black writers, intellectuals, filmmakers or anybody else that talk about uh, picket fences and uh, apple pie and mom and pop and all the rest of it. The experience of uh, black and uh, Latino people in the 1940s and other minorities is really quite different. America's poor, whom uh, black and Latino people um, disproportionately compri comprised, um, had uh, a, a very different experience of the uh, the 1940s. Um, there was, um, during the beginnings of this boom period, 40 million people living below the poverty line. That's one in three Americans. Um, in 1947, a third of American homes had no running water. Two-fifths had no flushing toilets. Three-fifths lacked central heating. Four-fifths were heated by coal or wood. And there was still a majority of the population living in rented accommodation. The, the, the home-owning dream for most Americans had yet to happen. Um, there was, um, for the people who lived below the poverty line, um, less, uh, fewer calories to eat uh, than future generations would, would enjoy. And most still worked in agriculture, um, in mining, in manufacturing or construction. So um, the wor working class life um, for America's poor is fundamentally different. Some of these would be lifted out of poverty in the coming decades, and it would be uh, those who are lifted out of poverty, both uh, black and white, who would be uh, more inclined to uh, speak of there being uh, an American dream, or there would be more uh, notions of opportunity. But for uh, a lot of Americans who live below the poverty line, the um, vision of America that was being uh, lauded around the world wasn't one that they personally experienced. There was a dramatic shift between the 40s and 70s um, towards urbanisation. Um, 24.4 million Americans lived in the countryside or farmed for a living in 1945. That was 17.5% of the population. Um, in the late 40s, um, there was a, a shift from farm to town and city um, that moved, that actually uh, engulfs various cities with, with booming populations. By 1970, there were only 9.7 million Americans uh, living in the countryside, or 4.8% of the overall population actually working the land. The number of farms fell by 5.9 million um, at the end of World War II to 3 million 25 years later. Life was harder still for the, uh, the mainly black and Hispanic uh, farm workers who were landless rural labour, uh, who had no stake in uh, property ownership and simply worked on poverty pay in the countryside performing uh, casual labour. Despite the uh, growth in prosperity, one thing that shaped the uh, 40s and 50s and 60s and the generation that had um, survived the war uh, was the, the memory 
of the 1930s. The experience of economic crisis not only left many Americans after the war fearing that there might be a return to the Great Depression, but also a culture of immense uh, prudence and uh, care with money and um, conservatism uh, when it came to um, spending and consuming uh, existed. Um, the, the vivid memories of the Depression um, where it was possible to be plunged into homelessness and hunger very easily meant that, uh, and also the uh, kind of the thrift of the war years where um, using every last um, bit of a chicken carcass or a vegetable patch or making sure that um, gasoline was used only for um, the most uh, important of, of, of uses. Um, these two factors mean that this, this culture kind of continues on into uh, the later 1940s and 1950s. And the early post-war years that had this culture of thrift about them from uh, f families closed, the toys children played with, to the holidays they, the family went on, would eventually be uh, swept away by a, a surge of new consumer choices once um, the, the boom years of the 1950s took off and then the, the kind of the hyper boom of the 1960s happened. For non-American listeners um, who are familiar with the term middle class, the uh, development of a middle class, which some historians put down to um, the uh, Roosevelt era uh, and the kind of the, the long democratic period from uh, Roosevelt to to Johnson, the that middle class. Uh, had distinct characteristics. Um, the middle class that um, emerges uh, from the nineteen in, in the late nineteen forties and nineteen fifties were often simply people who had been working class who were able to attain home ownership and to achieve a, a certain degree of uh, stability, security, uh, savings, pensions and a level of uh, comfort, a kind of, sort of consumerist comfort. Poverty was in decline throughout the period. Uh, we've talked about that uh, bottom third of the entire population. Um, it remained um, a significant issue within America, though by 1955, um, the levels of people living in poverty had fallen to 22%. And in 1973, it had fallen to 11%. So enormous strides had happened in the uh, 40s, 50s, 60s, and then up to the early 70s to lift people uh, out of poverty. Though uh, the rest of the 70s, um, well, the later 70s anyway, 80s, 90s, 2000s, and up to now, have seen that trend go into reverse in uh, certain parts of the USA. One of the key factors that shaped this um, explosion in economic activity was the American government itself. The war had seen a dramatic expansion, not in just of government, but also of uh, industry and America's industrial um, capacity. Um, aircraft, for example, 
uh, electrical and electronics uh, businesses, uh, chemical giants, um, food processing, sort of so tinned foods that had fed the troops and fed half of hungry Europe, uh, tobacco manufacturers, all these these vast industrial giants had boomed during the war and weren't about to go anywhere uh, thereafter. There's a really interesting um, section in Anthony Sampson's brilliant book, The Arms Bazaar. If you ever want to read about the 20th century arms industry, get that. Where the uh, aviation industry in 1945 almost collapses um, because of the end of war um, orders uh, until the American government um, step in and continue uh, a level of military spending throughout the 40s and 50s, which um, is roughly consistent with that that had happened during the war. So government uh, spending did help this expansion of, the, of industry. Um, federal spending in 1945 was uh, $95.2 billion. And uh, in 1948... That does decline to 36.5 million by 1948. However, the advent of the Korean War in 1950 saw American government spending uh, soar again by 43.1 billion in 1950. Um, The states and um, the uh, local government um, across America um, was a massive source of uh, income uh, and economic activity. In 1948, for example, states across America poured um, $21.3 billion into building schools, roads, and other infrastructure. And you can only imagine how gratefully received this would be by uh, American businesses. Private investment skyrocketed, research and development skyrocketed in this period, Um, because of uh, a thing that I suppose capitalism likes more than anything else, guarantees um, the idea, the the knowledge that there is an interventionist state there ready to spend money um, makes it all the more uh, likely that businesses will take the necessary risks to develop and innovate new products, goods and services for for the market, which they perceive to be... uh, continually buoyant. So the I suppose the, the point here um, in this first uh, podcast I'm doing on uh, American post-war uh, economic prosperity is that uh, this didn't happen out of the blue. The conditions were there, the um, uh, success that America had in war and the fact that America was uh, itself untouched by war and the fact that there was this um, state that had already um, had experience of powerful economic interventionism in not only the New Deal, but also the direction of war um, and the direction of war industries, could use this uh, to uh, stimulate and be what we, we, we call you know, the interventionist state um, uh, during the, uh, the 40s and 50s. Um, and this was... Uh, a powerful contributory factor to the enormous economic boom that we see all the way up to the early 1970s. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Swing by the Patreon page and see what we've got there, some uh, some more cool stuff. Uh, and if you can uh, uh, sponsor us, 
um, that would be great because obviously um, the podcast itself uh, needs resources to continue running. Thanks very much. All the best and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.